It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. And today Rick begins a new series in the book of Mark called Follow Jesus. Today is part one in a sermon he's entitled Hearing or Listening. Turn to Mark chapter 4, start with verses 1, going to verse 20 today. Here's Rick. Three years ago, John Brandick wasn't feeling well. In fact, he had not been feeling well for a long time, so he made an appointment with his doctor, and after extensive medical tests, the doctor came into the examining room and solemnly gave him news that none of us would want to have. John, you've got pancreatic cancer, and you've got about a year to live. So after hearing that information, John decided that he was going to do whatever he could with the short amount of life he had left to get the most out of it. So he quit his job. He quit paying his mortgage. He used his savings to give gifts to family and friends. He dined out a lot. He took numerous vacations and basically did all the things that he thought he should do to make the most of his last days here on earth. When the spending spree was over, uh, he had basically very successfully depleted all of his finances. But what did it matter? He wasn't going to be around um, and needed anyway. Near the end of that year, John went back to see his doctor again, only to learn that he didn't have cancer. He simply had an inflammation of his pancreas. (laughs) So instead of facing death... Brand Dick was facing life, only with no money. <laughs> so what do you think? Tragedy or stupidity? <laughs> should he sue or should he just have to suffer? Well, regardless of our assessment of, of John's predicament, uh, do you realize that that identical scenario plays itself out every day in our lives? Every day we choose source and response. Every day we choose what are we going to listen to, and then we also make choices of how are we going to respond. We need to talk about this. Before we do, let's pray. Father, that last song that we just sang describes probably pretty much every single one of us in this room. There are some of us here this morning that can so easily praise your name because the sun has been shining down on us and the world is as it should be. And then some of us this morning are having a hard time keeping it together because we want to bless your name, but there's pain in the offering. (laughs) Father, I am grateful for the gospel that allows us, when the sun is shining or it is dark, to come and worship you and you accept us without shame. You accept us when we can easily praise and when we easily pout. It doesn't matter because there is nothing we can do to make you love us more and there is nothing we can do to make you love us less because it's been settled at the cross. And so, Father, this morning is we open up our Bibles together.
and we have this time of study. May this be an act of our worship. May it not just be words coming out of my mouth, but, Father, may this be a time where we deeply engage hearing your voice, hearing your words. Father, come. This is a holy time. We're not here by accident. We're here because you've brought us here. And there's something we need to hear. May we not miss it. That's our prayer this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. In our study in the Gospel of Mark, we are at a point now where a pretty dramatic shift occurs. But it's a shift if you're not watching for it, you can easily miss it. In the first three chapters of Mark, if you've been with us regularly during these weeks, Mark has been writing in order that we might experience Jesus. He wants us, through what we have heard Jesus say and through what we have seen Jesus do, to come to have a vivid encounter with him as if we had been there ourselves. And then on the basis of that, we're going to make up our minds about this guy. Who is he, really? But then starting in chapter 4, like I said, this, this shift in Mark's focus occurs. But to understand that shift of focus, we need to remember what has just happened. Because this is what sets us up for it. What has just happened is that Jesus has basically called 12 guys to come to him and asked them, are you willing to walk in an intimate relationship with me where you will learn to replicate everything that I've said and everything that I have done? And these 12 guys accepted to follow Jesus. So now Mark describes how Jesus begins to build into these followers. Everything from now on in Mark 4 through chapter 9, we are going to see Jesus intentionally use every situation, every conversation as a teachable moment for those who are his followers. So what's happened? The shift has come from what it's like to experience Jesus now over to what is it like to follow Jesus? Chapter 4, verse 1, what, what, is, what is then the first thing that the followers of Jesus need to be aware of? What's the foundation for growing as a, as a disciple, even in our day? Well, it's realizing that hearing and listening are two separate things. Gentlemen, those of you who are married, I'm going to pick on you. Well, pick on me too for a moment. Um, Recently, Lucy was in the kitchen preparing dinner one night. I was out in the living room on the sofa, and she was talking to me. I, though on the sofa, was on my iPad. Suddenly, I realized it had gotten really quiet. I look up to see Lucy looking at me, and you know what she was asking, what she, her next words were. Are you listening to me? Busted. So what was going on there at that moment? Lucy's vocal cords and lips and mouth had formed words that then went out into as sound waves through the air. My eardrums picked up the vibration of those sound waves. I heard her, but I did not listen. As we come to chapter 4, 
The opening verses tell us that there were so many people around Jesus that he had to get into a boat while people crowded the shoreline. His boat became his floating lectern, his floating pulpit, I guess you can say. And yet, look at the opening word of verse 3, because it should be somewhat puzzling um, or confusing what he says. What's, what's his first word? Listen! Exclamation point. What, what, isn't that obvious? Why does, why does Jesus challenge his hearers to listen? Well, because he knows we can hear without listening. And he wants us to recognize that of all the channels that are available to us, all of the stations we can tune into, all of the sources of input that our ears can receive, there is one that's essential, there is one that's vital, there is one that's absolutely indispensable. And Jesus is very aware that the crowds have come because they've heard about his miracles. We've seen this. They've heard about his refreshingly vibrant teaching. But Jesus' goal is not to set attendance records. No, he wants everybody to clearly understand what God is up to. Now, what's surprising is that instead of delivering a dry lecture on religious concepts of what God might be up to, Jesus tells a story. Notice, he doesn't exegete an Old Testament passage for them, but rather he uses a really obvious picture out of nature to make his point. He's going to tell a parable. Notice that in verse 3, that he wants those who desire spiritual insight on what God is up to, to do more than just hear him, but to listen to him. And a parable explains it. You know the parable well. Let's look at it again, starting at verse 3. Follow along as I read there. Jesus says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, before we jump into the details, don't miss the obvious. What is the main theme going on here? We have got the story revolving totally around the common subject of farming. So in the parable, you'll notice that we just had a repetition of seed being planted in the ground and the growth of that seed toward a harvest. So there's a sense here of movement and progression. We have got development and growth. Something is unfolding by plan and by purpose. The prominent role then to watch is the interaction of seed and the soil. And as Jesus tells his parable, you know it well. He gives us four scenarios of seed and soil. First one's in verse 4. The seed on the path. 
Now, we've already seen what Jesus is describing earlier in Mark already. It was not unusual, as I've told you before, for people to walk right to the middle of someone's field to shorten the distance of getting wherever they were going to go. So even though on one day a farmer has carefully plowed his ground to get ready to sow it, by the next day when he comes back to actually start throwing his seed into the ground, people have already been walking through his field, and there are many feet have packed it down. It's like a sidewalk now. <laughs> it's impenetrable, impenetrable excuse me, to seed. So what's the result? Verse 4. That seed, as it's thrown out and it lands on the path, lays on top of the ground, and the birds come and eat it up. No plant's going to grow. No crop is going to come from those seeds. Second scenario. Well, by the way, the original audience, when they heard that, would have nodded their head like, yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that. Second scenario. Verse 5 and verse 6. The seed on or in rocky ground... This would probably be around the edge of the field where the farmer has not had time or didn't want to dig up the rocks and, and make the, the, the soil uh, better. Uh, and we're told here that the soil is thin. We're told that the soil is shallow. So what's the result when the seed is sown there? It does sprout. Um, but it's just below the surface. And because of the thin soil, its root system is also shallow, And so when the sun comes up, it scorches, the plant is withered, there's no lasting growth from these seeds, and there's no crop either. Third scenario, verse 7. Here we've got seed among thorns. Ooh, so this is in the field where the soil is good, but there's competition. There are other aggressive plants that are around that seed, And so what's the result is that the seed did put its roots down and begin to grow up, but but it's choked by competition. And so for a third time, there is no crop to harvest. Fourth scenario, verse 8, we've got seed in good soil. So we've got soil that's not hard, but soft. It's not shallow, it's deep. It has no competition. And what's the result that we're given there in verse 8 is that it, the seed sprouts, it grows up, it produces a crop that's 30, 60, even a hundredfold over just the one seed. Now, there are probably more, I mean, there are probably a number of you this morning that are gardeners here, and there are probably some of you here this morning that your idea of gardening is to go to Home Depot and buy a bag of miracle soil. But regardless, this interaction of seed and soil is not going to be foreign to you. You, All of us, even though we are not in an agrarian society, can grasp pretty quickly what Jesus is describing. But how does this parable explain what God is up to? If you're a little puzzled by it, take heart. Even Jesus' followers at that time didn't get it. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So the truth is so vital of what he has just said, Jesus now privately describes it, what God is up to. Look at verse 11. He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything 
is in parables. Ooh, notice that. This parable is describing the secret of the kingdom of God. A secret. Something that is a mystery to man, and he can only know it if God divinely chooses to reveal it. What Jesus has revealed is that God is busy building his kingdom, and it's like a farmer pursuing a harvest. Now again, remember what Jesus said way back when we walked our way through Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Jesus said, and this was evidently a constant message of his, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So the kingdom of God, Jesus was proclaiming, has broken into the affairs of men. Jesus Christ called people then to embrace that kingdom. How? Through repentance and by faith. So God's establishing, as Jesus has said, a whole new authority structure. And as we've talked about before, it's an authority structure we've never ever seen the like of before. Because it's not an outward program. It doesn't, it's not rallying people to a cause or an organization. Rather, God's kingdom is intensely personal as it offers life change. It, it's moving inside of a person's head and inside of their hearts. Jesus is describing through this parable that the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows seed and he's looking for a harvest. God wants his kingdom to be planted into the lives of people so that it sprouts and grows and yields a crop. The kingdom of God is intended to bear fruit in our lives. But those of you who know your Bibles well, know that Jesus now backs up and goes to the parable again. What's that about? Well, Jesus is not content that we just hear from the right source about what God is up to. He's also intensely interested that we also listen and respond. So based on what we've just seen Jesus say, the question is, okay, we know what God's up to. What am I up to? Once I understand that God is seeking to build his kingdom and that he's doing it in and through the lives of people, then I have to ask, am I involved in what God is doing? And how would I measure that? How would I know if I'm a part of what God is doing in this generation? Does coming to church on Sunday morning mean that I am an engaged member of God's kingdom? What if I throw occasionally a $20 bill into the offering sock? What if I have a fish symbol on the back of my car? Better yet, an RBC bumper sticker. Does that mean I'm an engaged part of the kingdom of God? How would I know? Well, that's why Jesus repeats the parable. Watch what he says now in verse 14 to verse 20. For here the parable now applies it. It has first explained it. Now it applies it. Verse 14, Jesus says, what? The sower sows the word. Ooh, the seed God is sowing is the word of God, and the soil, as we're going to see in a second, represents people. So now Jesus backs up and walks us through those same four scenarios that he's already described to us, but now he bases it on something else, a challenge. Are you really listening? Watch what he does. First, this verse 15. He says, you know what? Some people, 
have hard hearts. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word of God is sown. When they hear, immediate, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Notice, their hearts are resistant. Their hearts are unreceptive. Their hearts are defensive to God's word. They won't let it in. But don't miss something here. Notice that they do hear the word. But there's just no impact. They're in an environment where God's word is being taught or shared or preached or something. But they keep it outside their lives. And what does that do? It allows Satan to come and simply snatch it away. No fruitfulness, no change. It's just gone. What's the second scenario? Verse 16 and verse 17. We've, we've, we've know that, I mean, some people can have hard hearts. Notice verse 16 and 17. Some people can have shallow hearts. Jesus says in verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Wow. But did you notice something? They quickly received the word with joy. But they don't allow it to go down, down, down deep. So they're mis- they are making the mistake of assuming that an emotional response equals life transformation. But they don't deeply accept the word. So their lives are never really changed. Because they're settling for a shallow response. They can talk it, but they can't walk it. They've got information up here but their lives are revealing a lack of transformation. And that is really shown that when hard times hit, persecution comes, what happens? They fade. Why? Because the word has never become a conviction in their lives. It's only a convenience, a feel-good emotion. Shallow hearts. Hard hearts. Look at the third scenario, starting in verse 18. Some people have crowded hearts. And others, Jesus says, verse 18, are the ones who are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves un. Fruitful. Now, did you notice right there the distraction, or the, there's three possible distractions, how our hearts get crowded out, or how things get crowded, the word gets crowded out in our hearts? What's the first one? The worries of this life. That's the fear of what, of what possibly could happen. I'm getting older. I'm scared of dying. What about global warming? What about terrorism? I may never get married. Here comes a baby. Here comes the empty nest. Here come the holidays. Fears. So there's a choice. What will I listen and respond to? My fears or the word of God? That's one possible distraction. But there's another one. Look at it. Second distraction, the deceitfulness of wealth, Jesus says. That's the illusion 
that having sufficient or, yeah, or significant, I should say, significant financial resources or assets is going to make me happy. It's going to make me satisfied. It's going to give me the life that I want to live. So the focus then becomes on earning more instead of responding to the word. Warren Wearsby, who used to be the pastor at Moody Memorial Church in Chicago and then for many years, in fact, I still think he is the teacher on Back to the Bible, um, he said this, we must hate weeds. Riches are so deceitful because they promise much more than they can deliver. Their value is always changing and they, they are no guarantee of security. And Jesus even reminds us about this weed. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to this one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Riches are deceitful and can cause a distraction in a crowded heart. Look at the third weed Jesus points out to. It's the desires for other things. That word desire literally means passion, and it doesn't have to be negative. The word desire and passions, we've been given them by God. It depends on which direction they go in. In this case, the desire for other things means that my heart is controlled by a passion where I am driven by it. I've got to have the latest stuff. I've got to have sex. I've got to have success. So the focus moves away from the word getting into me to what can I get out of the world? And these are the kinds of weeds that Jesus says are competition for our energy and our attention and our focus because they choke deep listening and giving God and giving His Word a determined response. And so many people end up just giving their lives to a lot of the wrong things and it just kills the harvest that God wants to see in their life. We can have hard hearts. We can have shallow hearts. We can have crowded hearts. But look at the fourth kind of soil, verse 20. Some people have receptive hearts. Jesus says, but those who were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. By now, probably the question in your mind, because it was in my mind as I studied it this week, is, so how can a person be, a good, so- be good soil? Well, keep it in context. How does a farmer make good soil? By removing the first three items. When we watch our hearts so that they're not hard, they're not shallow, they're not crowded, then the seed of the Word of God has the opportunity to go down deep and to come up fruitful. And notice the three important words there in verse 20. Good soiled people, they hear, they accept, they produce. And normal spiritual fruitfulness will yield 30, 60, even 100 fold. Folks, that is not exceptional, that's the norm. That's the norm. 
if you're not getting the norm back up to the quality of the soil. It's always a struggle, isn't it, when Jesus repeats himself. (laughs) He's applied very specifically this parable to the lives of his followers. Again, keep it in context. He's now shifted his focus. He's building into his followers. He's not talking about those out there. He's talking about us. So if we are engaged in the kingdom of God and all that it's bringing, then you know what? My life is going to reveal it. It's going to be seen coming out of me. How? How? Well, I would suggest that it's going to be revealed in two ways. There are probably are more. Let me just give you two to chew on. First, at any given moment, any given moment, I am choosing the kind of soil I want to be. In other words, anytime we are in an environment to hear the word of God, we make a choice. We make a choice. Am I going to be hard-hearted? Am I going to give a shallow heart response? Am I going to have a crowded heart response? Or am I going to give the Lord a receptive response? Which means when we walk into a worship service like this, what kind of soil are we? When we go into your small group study each week, or you hear the word of God being taught on the radio or in a podcast, what kind of soil am I choosing to be right then at that moment? Now, again, understand, Jesus is talking about the secret of the kingdom of God, so he wants us to understand that the kingdom of God is moving forward in this generation as the word of God moves into people's lives, sprouts, grows, and bears fruit. And every day, it's my choice. Every moment, it's actually my choice of how receptive am I going to be? What kind of soil am I choosing to be? There's a second way in which my life reveals the importance and the movement of the kingdom of God, and that is, since the key issue really is penetration, how deep will I let the word of God go? How deep? See, the difference in in this parable between all the soils is seed penetration, isn't it? So am I only looking for information from this book or transformation? Do I want to be around the Word, but I don't want to let it in? Do I want want it to lead me to have some kind of an emotional response, but nothing more? Or will I seek fruitfulness by repentantly ripping out weeds? Someone has made the observation, I don't know who, that we are a generation of spectators. We know how to watch, but not how to hear and and listen. Uh, Pretty obvious when we'd rather watch football than go out and play it. We'd rather play video games than to let let our God lead us into having an adventure in our own lives. It's real. Uh, We cheer the heroes of of our faith that we read about here in the, in, in the scriptures, but we really don't want to be tested like they were. 
Now, some of you probably know and you are thoughtful. Rick, you skipped a verse. Yeah, I did. So let's go back now. Verse 9. This is the first time Jesus has ever said this, but this is one, if you read the Gospels, this is one of his favorite sayings. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The challenge by our Savior is that he wants us to do more than physically hear. He wants us to listen. He wants us to every day hear the word in such a way that we respond with a heart felt obedience where we let the word of God change our values. We let it change our attitudes. We let it change the way we respond to other people. We let it change our goals and our dreams and our aspirations for life. And once all we start to see all that come together, we begin to realize, wow, there is a foundational truth for those of us who are, want to be a part of the adventure of becoming disciples by following Jesus. And here is how I put this truth into words. I believe this is what our Savior is trying to say, is that the work of God goes on when the Word of God sinks in. One life at a time. There's a huge difference, isn't there, between hearing and listening. (laughs) What choices are you making at a heart level? What choices do I make? Is your heart hard? Is your heart shallow? Is your heart crowded? Then the most you'll ever get is biblical information. But if you will fight the good fight for your heart to be receptive to his word, then you are going to experience Christ-like transformation. Interesting how this is not just something new from Jesus. Maybe it's more clear, being this side of the cross. But this is exactly what Moses challenged the children of Israel about to. Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting at verse 46. Moses said, Keep in mind all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, for this is no idle word for you. It is your life. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that when it comes to following you, you have made sure that we understand at the front end the real key issue. It's not necessarily getting all of our theological positions right. It's about responding deeply to what we know from your word. It's not about having a head full of information. It's about a heart that's being transformed into Christ's likeness one day at a time. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, one degree of glory to another. 
But Father, that often takes a repentant response when we sense our heart is hard, when we sense our heart is shallow, when we sense our heart is crowded. Father, you wouldn't have told us about these things if you didn't know that that's what we fight. And so, Father, for many of us, myself included, forgive me for being willing to go through so many days or too many days in a row with that kind of a heart. Father, when I'm going to be in an environment where the Word is taught, whether it's opening my Bible because I'm trying to spend time with you, whether it's in a corporate service, whether it's radio, or so many of the different blessings we have of opportunities, Lord, would you remind me to ask, what kind of soil am I right now? Father, help us when we need to repent. Thank you, Father, that you understand and your Holy Spirit can come in and change us. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you want your followers to bear abundant fruit for you. And we look forward to that, too. We look forward to being a part of your kingdom work in this generation, in this community. But may it begin with me. (laughs) And may it begin by the way I respond and am receptive to the word of God. Father, that's our prayer. Surprise us, ambush us, amaze us by how you make us more like Jesus Christ. That's your desire. That's what we want. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.